Good morning. It's uh, wonderful to be here in Auburn, and uh, thank you for the, uh, the very warm introduction as well. I appreciate that. I've not been here for a couple of years. My whole family was here at, at visiting this actual church. For me, I was here a couple of years ago doing an interview. Uh, Fred Gray, he's a brother in one of the other Restoration Movement churches. Who, he was Martin Luther King's lawyer. If you like to listen to my interview with him, it's at YouTube which, with a lot of other fun things. But we're really hoping to spend more time in Auburn. I just, um, I just got back from Eastern Europe. My last trip of that year, of, of 2010, was in Romania and the Ukraine. Mainly I was teaching. What they asked me to teach on was church history. Like, it's complicated. Why is Christianity so fragmented? What has gone on? But I only had three hours to do it in. And that's with translation into Romanian. And, and you know, I mean, to do all that in an hour and a half. But it's amazing. We could have gone six or 12 hours. I think they had the appetite for it. People were so eager to learn. And it's a wonderful opportunity I have to, to meet brothers and sisters all over the world. In the Ukraine also, uh, we've wrapped up a three-year uh, Bible school and was able to present diplomas in Kiev. Kiev's a church of about 2,000 members. And after I was in, and we have more graduates on the way. After that, I went to a little church in western Ukraine, just a few dozen members. And I love to do the big and the small. Um, I, I come from a slightly larger congregation, North River. Uh, bring you greetings from there. It's about 550 members, if you care, uh, as far as actual numbers. But it, it is growing and it's very encouraging. And so it, uh, it's an honor for me to be with you in Auburn today. 80% of our family are here. That is two of our children. Uh, both the parents are here, but we're, we're very happy to be here. I was asked to speak from Mark 12. My text is Mark 12, 28 to 34. Now, you'll find this path. It's the one that contains the greatest commandment. If you uh, had asked me to, to speak from Matthew, it would be a different sermon. If you asked me to pre preach from the parallel passage in Luke where you find the greatest commandment, that would definitely be a different message because they're framed differently. But I've really wrestled with this text. It's a very familiar one. But I wanted to learn, not just so I could teach you, but I wanted to learn uh, for myself. At any rate, uh, it's wonderful to be here. Please open your Bibles right now. The thing with, uh, and this is Mark 12, when we're going through a familiar passage, it's so easy to say, yeah, well, I'll just close my Bible because, you know, it's like a song. I know the words. I don't need to turn to my songbook because, you know, it's only ten words in the chorus and I know it by heart. I could sing it backwards underwater. But you know, with the Word of God, you better not think that way. You can get away without holding the songbook if you know the words. But the Bible's deeper than our deepest songs. Our deepest, most soul-stirring hymns may be quite deep, quite profound, but it's nothing compared to the Scripture. And even when I return to a very familiar passage, there's a lot I can learn. I think there's a lot you can learn too. And so we're going to be looking at Mark 12. This is the end of Jesus' life. He's been coming from the north of the country, Caesarea Philippi, and you have the chapter where Peter makes the good confession, and then Jesus corrects him, and he says you have to deny yourself. In fact, you have to carry your cross. And then Jesus, from that city, Caesarea Philippi, moves south, walking, as they did then, all the way to Jerusalem. I was talking to my wife this week, uh, kind of cool places we might like to visit or religious pilgrimages we might do. And she suggested, what if we were in Israel and we just walked? You know, we could walk everywhere. And I thought, well, what if we went from Caesarea Philippi, Mark 8, all the way to Jerusalem? Yeah, it would take you a few days to do it, but you would definitely get a, a taste of it. When Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, it was not as a pilgrim or a sightseer. He's coming to Jerusalem to die. And he was coming to Jerusalem 
clashing with the religious establishment, knowing that it would end here. And he was very much in control of his schedule. Uh, if it wasn't his time, he did not allow himself to be arrested and killed. And so he comes to Jerusalem and things are really heating up. He, he gets into town in, in, uh, chapter, in yeah, chapter 11. And where we pick up our text, he's been in a series of very tense interactions. People are criticizing him. People are trying to trap Jesus. There's a, we won't read all these. Uh, there's a, we won't actually read any of them. Uh, there's a criticism from the priests, scribes, and elders. They come. Everyone's trying to challenge him on his authority. Uh, then the Pharisees and Herodians come. Herodians, they, they represent the kind of pseudo-king Herod the Great. And, uh, not Herod the Great, he's dead. Uh, uh, the next guy, Herod Antipas. And they come, and they, they want to ask him about paying taxes. Should we pay tax to Caesar? Which is really saying, so you believe what you say? What about our relationship with the government? Oh, they're really trying to trap him in a political conversation and with finesse, typical smoothness, he gets out of that. Then there's another trap that's set by the Sadducees because they don't agree with, with us that there's a resurrection of the dead and they make up this story, this woman's husband died and so her husband's brother married her and he died, they had no... Oh, and then married the next one and... Oh, Finally, you know, they're all dead. You've got seven former husbands. So who's she married to in the next life, huh? If there's a resurrection. And, and frankly, that, that is challenging. But Jesus silences them as well. And the tension will continue even after. And the incident we're going to look at, a scribe, I think it says in my Bible, I'm using the New English translation right now, one of the experts in the law, verse 28, one of the experts in the law comes to him. And this is a good guy. But in the very next excerpt, uh, we, um, he stumps the experts in the law with a question of his about Psalm 110. And then he gives a very heavy warning about these fellows. Even though he's just had a good interaction, he says, watch out for them. The way they dress, they always want the honor. They always, they're in it just for themselves. Not all religious leaders are corrupt. Fortunately, we're going to be looking at one of the very positive interactions. 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? It is familiar, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, some of us may say, well, they're all equally important. That's not the way Jesus reacts. He doesn't say, well, you're trying to excuse yourself. You're trying to weight them and have like a graduated scale of obedience. If it's important, I'll do it. And, and then you'll just, you'll just dismiss yourself from the Word of God. Jesus doesn't deny that some commands are more important than others. Some are more. They're not all equally important. Not all sins are equally serious. Not all positions of leadership are equal. We don't all possess the spiritual gifts equally. Many people like to homogenize and democratize and make everything just even. Like all commands are equally important. No, they're not. Some, if you don't believe me, look at Matthew 23, 23. Some are more important than the others. Now Jesus says, you still need to obey the others. But please don't miss the most important ones. And so here, he's, this is from Jesus. People say, wait a minute, I thought the whole Bible is equally important. I tell you, if the whole Bible, if everything in the Bible is equally important, we are in big trouble. <laughs> I know very few Christians who've studied the whole Bible, let alone have really thought it through in, in, in a serious way. The Bible, however, 
has spotlights on the things that we better not miss. The purpose is not so that we can say, well, thank you, I'll just, I'll, I'll just read the, I'll read the uh, what do you call them, the spark notes, and I won't bother to read the original. I'll be going now. No, the purpose of those highlights on the key passages is so that we're centered, so that we're balanced, so we don't get disoriented trying to figure out, do I give 10% on my garden herbs? Is that just as important as helping someone who's fallen through the frozen river and is drowning? No, they're not equally important. And you're dummy if you think they are. Well, I'll let that person drown. I need to give 10% on my parsley. I mean, if you're, you're messed up. And that's also Matthew 23, 23. <laughs> okay, but we're in Mark. So he doesn't shoot him down. Jesus doesn't deny that there are hierarchies. There are. And his answer is quite something. Let's read 29 to 31. Jesus answered, The most important is, Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, No other commandment is greater than these. His answer is a double answer. The fellow asks him what's most important. Jesus says, well, it's two. It's kind of like when the speaker says, you can ask one question, and a guy says, well, I've, yeah, my question has two parts. It's a little tricky. But Jesus isn't being tricky. These two things actually go together. They cannot be separated. Notice that neither of these is explicitly in the Ten Commandments. I mean, you ask the average guy in Alabama, you know, what are the important commandments of the Bible? What are they called? Uh, let me think. How many are there? Even people who've never read the Bible, they say, duh, it's ten. R right? Yeah. We have the disputes about the courthouses displaying the Ten Commandments. The two commandments we just read, are they part of the Ten Commandments? What say you? Well, you know, explicitly, no, they're not. You would actually say they're 12 commandments, and these are the top two, and then the 10 are more. I mean, they're important, but they're, they're just extra. On the other hand, you could also say that these two are in the 10 commandments, because the first four commandments are about loving God. Loving God, right? No other false God. You don't make idols. You don't misuse His name, and you put him in the center of your life, you've got the Sabbath law, and then the next six commandments are about how we relate to others. Like don't covet and don't kill them. These are things we should not do to one another, right? <laughs> so the Ten Commandments are, you could divide them that way. One to four and five to ten. So you've got these two. Jesus does not allow these to be separated. And when people tell you, well, yeah, I love God, I just don't really like people very much. They're lying. <laughs> Any more than someone says, yeah, you know, I, I love, I, I truly